isn't it interesting how this, for those of you who are here for Sunday school, and if you were not, um, we did a kind of an interesting survey thing. My, my primary interest in doing that was to kind of give you a clue and me a clue as to what your spiritual gifts are, but it also talked about heart and um, uh, our abilities, our personalities, and our experience. I was thinking about our personalities and how God brings people together, like my wife and I. Um, she's Actually, she I think, um, because of her personality, she's better equipped to be the preacher. She definitely was when the girls were growing up in our house. She had a lot of long sermons. Some that I'm sure the girls thought were never-ending. Wait a minute. I just thought of something else. That guy. Uh, it's been great. And, and um, I tell, Julie has opened a lot of doors for me. Because I'm not the outgoing personality in the family. She is. She's the otter. She's the fun-loving, people-loving, I-can't-get-enough-of-people person. I'm the more reserved let me go home and hide in my cave, guy. And so um, God knew what he was doing when he brought us together. And aren't you glad for the variety of personalities and gifts and experience and abilities and passions that God has built into that bunch of people that he calls the body of Christ? It's a wonderful thing. I don't know, uh, I like to brag sometimes on my family, and because I'm up front, I get to do that on occasion. And um, our grandson, I don't know how much, uh, this is, one, one of the things I did because I had only daughters and no sons was I, my daughters hunted with me. And um, our grandson is kind of, uh, his his daddy is very much into that, and and uh, he had a doe tag this year, and what's special about that is um, he got his doe yesterday. That's meat in the freezer for the family. That's a big deal for us. We like wild game because nobody's given it shots of hormones or anything like that. And um, the deer where we hunted ate better than the cows did because they could jump the fence and eat in places where the cows weren't allowed to. <laughs> So um, for us, that was a big deal. And Cole got his doe yesterday. He's 12 years old, 250 yards, one shot. And for us, that's the way to do it. We like humane kills, and um, we're proud of that fact. And they're proud to have something to put in the freezer this year because Dad and Mom didn't do that well. So... They need Grandpa back there to help them out. That's what they need. <clears throat> this is my final um, sermon on gifts. And um, we, we did the spiritual gifts inventory this morning, and I really intended to do it after this sermon, but because my series got broken into three instead of four messages, that kind of got thrown a little bit out of whack. So um, we're going to... We're going to do the last message today, um, and as Dean read, this is from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 this morning. Um, 
We have, I know we have some scientists in our congregation, and so you might have a better idea about the timeline of this illustration. This was a number of years ago, I know, that the University of California, Berkeley, took, took on an impossible assignment. It agreed to coordinate an international effort to locate extraterrestrial life. That might be a bit of a hopeless venture, but nevertheless. Um, I don't know if, any, do any of you have background in the Wesleyan Church? Do you know the name Heckert, Dr. Heckert? He was a theologian in the Wesleyan Church. He believed that there was extraterrestrial life, but he believed that um, they hadn't fallen. That was his belief. So he believed that because they hadn't fallen, they were far advanced beyond us. Sin had not affected their world, and that there might be the possibility of them traveling to our planet. But they weren't aliens that wanted to dissect us like, you know. Of course, all the aliens, you know, on television shows are basically bad guys, and they want to do... Anyway, so I'm not sure I believe any of that stuff, but at Cal Berkeley, they thought, let's look for extraterrestrial life. Now, that's a pretty daunting project, uh, we live in a pretty large galaxy, and the multi-million dollar radio telescopes looking at our galaxy suck in a lot of data. In fact, so much data that it uh, is collected and forwarded to Berkeley that at the time that they started this project, there was no computer on Earth powerful enough to process it all. Now, in the intervening years, that might have changed, but at this point, it, it wasn't possible. Does anybody know about this project, SETI? Okay. I should have known. Chad knows about it back there. <clears throat> Chad knows about a lot of things. So, to accomplish this impossible task, Berkeley asked home computer users around the world to contact them over the Internet and download a program called SETI, S-E-T-I, at home. The SETI software makes connection over the Internet to a computer in California and downloads a work unit, that is, a set of measurements from a particular part of the sky. The work unit is not large, but it takes the computer a while to crunch the numbers. When the work is done, the computer makes another Internet call to Berkeley, uploads its results, and downloads a new work unit. What today's largest supercomputer at this time could never have done alone over a million ordinary home computers do easily. Sometimes the best way to accomplish the impossible is to harness the help of the ordinary. The regular guy out there with the computer at home. That's what we're talking about here. And that's how the church works. God didn't intend any one person to do all the work. That includes the guy standing up front who preaches on Sunday. <clears throat> Boy, I expected a resounding round of amens at that point. That's what you're supposed to say. Amen, Pastor. <laughs> but you just sat there. <laughs> That's how the church works. God didn't intend any one person to do all the work. No one can do it alone. But if we all do what we can, the unattainable becomes attainable. The church can be all that God intended it to be. Dean, what's that 
scripture verse you like to quote? Tell me. The one about all the parts doing their work. God placed, come on, tell us what it is. He didn't know I was going to call on him today. God places all the members of the body in the way that pleases Him. And listen, God knows what He wants His church to be. So He has everything necessary to accomplish our mission right here. Thank you, Dan, leading that charge there. As Christians and members of Christ's body, we are needed just as we are. With your spiritual gifts, with your passions, with your abilities, with your personality and your experience. God wants to use you just as you are. With that package that you bring to the table, as we say. Now, about spiritual gifts, because that's what Paul is addressing here in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. We need to have an understanding of spiritual gifts. Paul indicates, this is the first thing on your outline today, Paul indicates that the topic of spiritual gifts is too important to be uninformed about. We need to have some understanding about these things. So let, uh, I think there is there a definition there on your outline this morning? Yeah. Okay. This is from Bruce Bugby, founder and president of Network Ministries. Here's his definition of spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are divine abilities distributed by the Holy Spirit to, here's a key word, every... Spiritual gifts are divine abilities distributed by the Holy Spirit to every believer according to God's design and grace for the common good of the body of Christ. Did you get that every believer part in there? There is no believer who is giftless. God did not forget to give someone a spiritual gift. Alright, we all have one or more. So, let's talk for a minute this morning, because sometimes I think there's some confusion or overlap in people's minds about some other things that that are part of our lives. Spiritual gifts versus natural abilities. What's the difference? A natural ability is something you are born with. Many of us have what we might call an innate ability to do certain things. Some people are good with their hands. Their whole lives, they're mechanically oriented, or they're good with wood, or things like that, or just stuff that involves the use of their hands. We might call them mechanically inclined. It comes naturally to them. Others may be more musically or artistically inclined. And we see that even sometimes in our children from their youngest days. A spiritual gift is something you are born again with. Get the difference? And then spiritual gifts versus the fruits of the Spirit. Both are necessary for a life of servanthood, but they make very different contributions. The fruits of the Spirit are developed through a process of maturity. They are about character. All right? 
All our facets, all of the spiritual gifts are facets of the character of God and should be facets of the character of those who are seeking to be like Him. Christ-likeness, we would call that. So what are they? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are the fruits of the Spirit. The, the, the spiritual gifts are about abilities that we use in service. And in fact, one of those abilities is serves, serving or helping. Some of us are oriented that way. We love to serve, to help. We don't mind being behind the scenes. But all of the gifts that God has given us are to be used in service to the kingdom in the church for one another. Um, some, you know, have, and there, I, I think I've told you this before. If you go and look at lists of, of spiritual gifts, you'll find a variety out there. Um, I think in the survey we did today, there were 16 listed. Um, I've got 20 here in my message today. I've seen some that went up over 30. And it depends on who looks at them and how they look at them and, and, um, and, and sometimes they're categorized into groups. Um, Charles Swindoll, who is a, a Bible teacher that, you know, I, ha- I, I, I have some faith in. He, he categorizes the spiritual gifts into the speaking gifts, like prophecy, evangelism, pastor-teacher, those kinds of things. And service gifts, administration, exhortation, faith, giving. Helps, serving, and mercy. And then what he would call the sign gifts. Those things, some of them are listed in the passage that we read today. Distinguishing of spirits, miracles, healings, tongues, and interpretation. Okay, so sometimes they're kind of lumped together in these different categories. And if you read about the gifts, you'll find different writers lumping them together in different ways. But here's the thing. The gifts, whatever they are, are distributed to us for a purpose. We all are gifted in some way. Some are called to do many of the things that are spiritual gifts. Um, And let me me define what I mean by that. You may have... uh, Anybody this morning find out that their number one gift was faith? Yeah. All right. Um, some found out, I know that I was looking through these, your number one gift was exhortation or prophecy or teaching. I know we have some people with the strong gifts of teaching. We have gifts that God has given us, but we all are called to express gifts that may not be our spiritual gift. That's what I'm talking about here. For instance, we're all called to give. Some have the gift of giving. I've seen people who are incredibly generous. I know we have some people in our congregation who have that gift. Um, Evangelism. We know there are people out there who are evangelists. We've got one sitting right over here. I think there's one over on this side that I saw. That's one of their spiritual gifts. Listen, they they just have this burning desire to share Jesus with anyone they come across and they have this incredible ability to turn these conversations to spiritual things. 
But guess what? We're all called to evangelize, aren't we? Aren't we? We're all called to evangelize. Encouragement. Anybody? Well, I shouldn't ask this. Yeah, I won't ask about the gift of discouragement because it just seems like... No, 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 no. We're all called to be encouragers in some way, at some time with somebody. Are we not? Um, Serving. We all are called to serve in some way. Now, some have the gifts of serving and helps. And and so those are the people that are out there setting up for the special events and cleaning up afterwards and making sure the lights are on and things like that. But we're all called to service. Amen? So, the gifts are distributed in different ways. We obviously all have spiritual gifts, but those, the, there are certain things in the list of gifts that we all are supposed to practice at one time or another. Paul tells us then in gifts, in, in, excuse me, in verses 2 and 3, that we are to be controlled by the Spirit. The gifts are controlled by the Spirit. In the life of the believer... The Holy Spirit alone equips and energizes us for ministry. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. When it comes to the topic of spiritual gifts, our focus is supposed to be on the giver of the gifts, not on the gifts themselves. Paul reminds us that before we were saved, we were led astray by our emotions and false doctrines. By the way, we live in a world where emotion kind of are the controlling factor in too many people's lives. I don't know what... The whole idea of our will controlling us has been thrown out the window. Okay? Whatever the day brings and however I feel about it, and boy, that's covering a lot of territory these days. You can even... Um, I need to be careful here. But um, your sexual orientation be, can be controlled by how you feel about it from day to day. That's what we're being told now. Our emotions are in control of our lives. God says, no, that's not the way it's supposed to be. It's the Holy Spirit working through your will that's in control of your life. That's, that's how we should live our lives. But Paul says there was a point in our lives when we were were controlled by our emotions and the false teachings, the false doctrines that are still prevalent in his day and are still prevalent in our day. But now that we are believers, followers of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit empowers and energizes us and is in control of our lives for the service that we're supposed to give to Christ and the kingdom through the church and outside the walls of the church. Listen, spiritual gifts are of the Spirit, by the Spirit, for the Spirit. And all the people said, All right. And we need to understand then that we are different is essential. And we've talked about this already. Paul talks about the body of Christ. Listen, what would a body be like that was only an eye, or only a foot, or only an ear, or only a mouth? Oh my goodness. And he lists a number of spiritual gifts in this passage. I want to list some for you this morning. Um, and 
many of these were, were listed in the inventory you took this morning. Preaching or prophecy? Um, that's kind of important for the guy who stands up here and talks to you every Sunday. It's kind of tough to do this job if that's not a gift that God has given you. It's the ability to communicate God's Word in an inspired way that convinces unbelievers and both challenges and comforts believers. It's the ability to persuasively declare God's will. Evangelism. The ability to communicate the good news of Jesus Christ to unbelievers in a positive, non-threatening way. In other words, they need to keep listening to you. The ability to sense opportunities to share Christ and lead people to respond with faith. Missions. This one wasn't in our list this morning. And there's a good reason for that. Let me tell you what it is. The ability to adapt to a different culture in order to reach unbelievers and help believers from that culture. Now, that's okay as long as you do that right here at home. I just don't want you taking off and going somewhere. I'm kidding. If God calls you to foreign missions, you better go. Right? Apostle. The ability to start new churches and oversee their development. The Apostle Paul. Boy. Well, Peter, just apostleship. Teaching. Oh, by the way, let me go back to apostle. Did you know there was a time, and Julie and I were on the Oregon Pacific District years ago, back in the early 80s, when they had this huge church planting effort. I'm telling you, the guys or gals that are in charge of planting churches, starting new churches, need to have the gift of apostleship. I'm going to be kind of careful here, but at that point, um, they weren't careful about who they had come do this. And so there were a lot of failures. And to me, there's just not an acceptable failure rate when you're starting churches. We should want them all to succeed, right? And I think... At that point, the attitude was, well, there's an acceptable failure rate. Basically, what they did was they said, listen, if you're interested in coming to the Oregon Pacific District and starting a church, come on out. You know, the Church of the Nazarene now has a a pretty extensive evaluation process that you have to go through before you can be a church planter. And I say, praise God, because they want to make sure that you have the giftings necessary to be a church planter, to be a church starter. An apostle is one of those gifts. Because we don't, I don't think there's an acceptable failure rate. Amen? Amen. Uh, Teaching. The ability to educate God's people by clearly explaining and applying the Bible in a way that causes them to learn. The ability to equip and train other believers for ministry. That's kind of an important one. In fact, that was probably my primary gift. Um, And a lot of pastors, I think, have that gift, at least as a part of their mix. Encouragement or exhortation. That was the word, I think, that was on our survey this morning. The ability to support and encourage people, especially when they are when they are discouraged or wavering in their faith, and you come alongside 
and you say, you know what, I've been there too. Or here's a passage of Scripture. Or let me pray for you. Or you can get through this. That's what encouragers do. Wisdom. The ability to understand God's perspective on life and its situations and share those insights in a simple and understandable way. The ability to explain what to do and how to do it. Listen, we've got a lot of people out there who think they've got wisdom, but it's, it's wisdom from an earthly perspective. We have to know what God's perspective on these situations is. Amen? What God's perspective is. Discernment, the ability to distinguish right from wrong, truth from error, and give an evaluation based on God's Word. What an incredible thought. The ability to discern whether the source of an experience is Satan, self, or God's Spirit. It's pretty important. Because we know that Satan is the deceiver. And we know that he's going to try to lead us astray. And we need to be able to discern in situations, is that Satan trying to trick me? Or is that just me? Or is that the voice of God speaking to me? Discernment, knowledge, the ability to discover, collect, analyze, and organize information that is vital to individual believers or the entire church family. The ability to comprehend information and provide it when needed for effective decision making. Boy, we need people with knowledge in the church, don't we? I think that's one of the reasons why it depends on the denomination. You'll have a, a board of deacons. In our church, it's the church board. But I think that's why that, that, that experience of the collective minds coming together, checks and balances. Hopefully there are people on the board with the gift of knowledge. And this pastor wants to just run out there and do this crazy thing. And they say, whoa. Now, sometimes they'll say, you know what? I think God's telling us to do that crazy thing. But sometimes they'll say, have you thought about that? Oh, wow. I never thought about that. We need that in the mix, don't we? Knowledge, service. We've talked about that already. Man, what would happen if we just didn't have people whose gift was serving and helping? It's, it's those people that we may not know who's doing it, but when they don't, we're saying, how come the lights aren't on? How come it's cold in here? How come the table wasn't set up for the snacks today? How come the church doors weren't open when I came here this morning? The ability to recognize unmet needs in the church family and take the initiative to provide practical assistance quickly, cheerfully, and without the need for recognition. <clears throat> in fact, a lot of times... Serving people don't want recognition. Don't make me come up front. That's, you know, just let me serve. Mercy. This is the one where I got a zero one time. But believe me, I think there's some in there. I was explaining to Dean this morning, I think, why I got a zero on that one. It was one of those tests where you say, if you could do this or this, which would you choose? I was telling Dean, you know, uh, it hasn't happened so much here. 
But when I was in Eastern Oregon on the coast, I got a lot of people coming into the church asking for help. And I told Dean this morning, if they'd have just come in and say, you know, I lost my job, we need groceries, but it never happened that way. It was a story that went on, because they're trying to convince you. So it's a story that goes on and on and on and on and on and on. And so on the test, it was, would you rather have someone come into your office and, or eat barbed wire? I always chose eat barbed wire. <laughs> now, I'm kidding. That wasn't the option. But usually I chose the other thing because it's like, man, I don't just tell me what you want. So anyway, I got a zero in mercy. I'm glad that you're merciful and that you're merciful to me. The ability to detect hurt and empathize with those who are suffering in the church family or the ability to provide compassionate, cheerful support to those experiencing distress, crisis or pain. And folks with mercy are the ones who tend to go to Texas and help out because they're feeling the pain of those folks who've lost everything. Hospitality, the ability to make others, especially strangers, feel warmly welcomed, accepted, and comfortable in the church family or in your home. Pastoring, shepherding, the ability to care for the spiritual needs of believers and equip them for ministry, the ability to nurture a small group in spiritual growth and assume responsibility for their welfare, giving, the ability to generously contribute material resources or money beyond the 10% tithe so that the body may grow and be strengthened, the ability to earn and manage money so it may be given to support the ministry of others, intercession, and I don't believe that was on your list this morning. And some of these were, would be grouped together under the heading that was faith in your uh, spiritual gift survey this morning. Because either, these are faith gifts. Intercession. The ability to pray for the needs of others in the church. To persist in prayer and not be discouraged. Healing. The ability to pray in faith specifically for people who need physical, emotional, or spiritual healing. Miracles. The ability to pray in faith specifically for God, specifically for God's supernatural intervention in an impossible situation and see God answer. Those are faith gifts, folks. You've got to have faith to do those things. Amen? And then leadership. This was, was on our, uh, inventory this morning. The ability to clarify and communicate the purpose and direction or vision of a ministry in a way that attracts others to get involved. Administration, the ability to recognize the gifts of others and recruit them to ministry. I'm going to be looking for those folks with administration gifts. I'll be thumbing through those before I go home this morning. The ability to organize and manage people, resources, and time for effective ministry. I know that administration is an area of weakness for me. And I thank the Lord for Bernice. I need someone like her. And I need her close and in the office all the time. <laughs> Faith. And again, we said some of these others are, are, are ministries that were gifts that require faith. The ability to trust God for what cannot be seen and to act on God's promises regardless of what the circumstances indicate. 
Those are the times when we say, there's no way, and that person is saying, yes, there is. So, what do some of these gifts look like in action? Well, the next potluck that we have, and we do that well, and we do that consistently here, someone spills their plate of food. The gift of prophecy says, that's what happens when you're not careful. The gift of service says, oh, let me help you clean that up. The gift of teaching says, the reason that fell was because it was too heavy on one side. The gift of exhortation or encouragement says, next time, maybe you should let someone else carry it for you. The gift of giving says, here, you can have my plate. The gift of mercy says, don't feel bad, it could have happened to anyone. And the gift of administration says, Bill, would you get a mop, Betty? Please help me pick this up. And Mary, could you get him another plate, please? The gift's in action. So, Paul goes on then to tell us we need to identify our gift. We must discover what our gift or gifts, our gift is or our gifts are in order to be effective in ministry. To be effective in ministry. Listen, we, we did a thing some years ago in a Sunday school class called Unlocking Your Fifth Suitcase. And what it had to do with was finding what your gifts are so that you work in the area of your gifting. Because if you don't, there's a tendency for us to burn out really quickly. Because we're working in an area that we're not gifted for. And it's just, it's a, it's a round peg in a square hole. <clears throat> we must discover what our gift or gifts are in order to be effective in ministry. Paul says, now to each one the manifest, manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. For each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given For the common good. And the word manifest means to make plain. God wants you to know what your gift is so you can serve in your heirs of gift, gifting, giftings in the church. Spiritual gifts are given to make plain the work of the Spirit in our lives. And notice that these things are given for the common good, not for our own good. Look what I've got. You know, I unwrap my gift and, Did you ever have that at Christmas time, maybe around the family tree? Look what I got. You know, really, <clears throat> the value of the gifts has a lot to do with the individual that's receiving it, though, doesn't it? Yeah. Remember, remember all the times uh, the kids opened the gifts and they played with the boxes? It's the value in the eyes of that, the person receiving it, isn't it? And you know what? People who have the serving gifts are glad to be servants. And the people who have the evangelism gifts are thrilled to be able to share Jesus with people at every opportunity. The value of the gift has to do with the person that has that gift. And I hope you're glad to have the gift that 
God has given you, whatever that was that you discovered this morning, or was maybe reaffirmed in your life. Or, and you know, some of you said, you know, as, as years have gone by and my life circumstances have changed, things have shifted a little. That's okay. That's okay. You know, you may not be able to do all the things you did years ago when you were young. But that's okay. God says, here's how I want to use you now at this point in your life. And we're still important to him. It doesn't matter whether we're one or a hundred. Given for the common good, not for our own good. So to be effective in ministry, we must know what our gift is so that we can put it to work along with the gifts of others for the common good. And when we're all working together, guess what? The church works. And then we're to mobilize our gifts for ministry. Put them to work. Put them to use. About 30 years ago, when Saddleback Church in Southern California had grown to approximately 500 people, Rick Warren, the senior pastor, said, Folks, I'm out of energy, and the church is getting so big that I can't do much more. As I read the Bible, it doesn't say I'm supposed to do it all anyway. I'll make you a deal. If you'll do the ministry God's gifted you to do, then I'll do my part, which is to make sure you're well fed. Warren said they shook hands and made a pact together. And it was after that that the church began exploding with growth. Every person did their part. They used their gift in ministry. Until each one of us mobilizes our gift, this is the next point on your outline, until each one of us mobilizes our gifts, the church will be handicapped by a lack of necessary parts. John MacArthur has said, a Christian who does not have a ministry is a contradiction in terms. And, and the Apostle Peter said, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. And you'll find that in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. A well-known conductor was holding a rehearsal one night with a vast array of musicians and a a hundred-voice choir. While the mighty chorus sang out, the horns blared and the cymbals crashed. Sitting far back in the orchestra, the piccolo player thought to herself, With all those loud instruments, it doesn't matter what I do. They don't need me. And so she stopped playing. Suddenly, the conductor stopped the music and looked right at the piccolo player and said, it doesn't sound right without you. If you don't play, we can't go on. We need you. By the way, have any of you, Julie knows already goes, have any of you seen the uh, advertisement? I think it's for insurance. The, the triangle player doing the triangle solo. That is a kill. A triangle solo. And this guy gets with the program. There's some guy that realized that his instrument was important. And I love music and I love harmony. And I love hearing all the parts come together to make this incredible orchestral piece that sounds right because all the parts are doing their work. The harmony isn't complete unless all the instruments are playing. And guess what? God's given us all 
a different instrument to play. Now, we know that sometimes there's more than one horn and more than one clarinet and more than one saxophone and more than one violin, and that's okay. Those things all come together to make beautiful music. And folks, when the church is doing what it's supposed to do, that is pleasing in the ears and sight of our Heavenly Father. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have gifted us all, every one of us, in a very important way. And sometimes, and forgive us for thinking this, and help us to get our minds right about this, we have a tendency to say, well, because that gift is up front, that must be a more important gift than mine that happens behind the scenes. That's not true. That's a lie from the enemy. You don't look at it that way. And we shouldn't either. So help us to realize that every one of our gifts is important in the working of the body of Christ, your church. And may we, this morning, commit or recommit ourselves to use the gift or gifts you've given us in service to Jesus and the kingdom through this particular body called the Longmont Church of the Nazarene so that together we will be a church that works in the sense of doing exactly what you've called us to do because each of us individually are doing exactly what you've called us to do. And we praise you that you trusted us with these things. The God of heaven, the God of the universe, has trusted us with gifts to use in the working and service and outgrowth of the kingdom. And for that we say thank you. And Lord God, we determined today, today to take that responsibility seriously and use our gifts faithfully. And together all the people said, Amen. Amen.